0: On today's show, we'll be breaking down the odds and ends from the 2023 NHL draft. Some interesting storylines for you, um, kind of what are the interesting picks from the draft and what we have to say about them all coming up on Locked On NHL Prospects.
1: You are Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On this podcast, we break down everything prospects related for you five days a week, Monday to Friday. I'm Hattie Kalakesh with my co-host Sebastian High, um, and we're going to be breaking down the odds and ends from the 2023 NHL Draft. Some interesting storylines for you, um, kind of the interesting picks and and kind of interesting storylines that happened at the 2023 Draft, all through seven rounds. Uh, but before we get into it, first and foremost, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Um, FanDuel Sportsbook is the off, uh, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Um, now, before we get into the actual content, make sure, just make sure to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. And leave us a comment saying what you're thinking about the episode. Uh, any suggestions for future episodes. Always very much appreciated. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to check us out and make us your first listen every day. Um, Now, let's get right into it with the odds and ends, Sebastian. I really, really like some of the storylines we've got written down for this draft. Some guys that we haven't really mentioned previously uh, on the previous episodes we've done last week, uh, and guys that really do deserve their own mention um, in their own right. Starting at 21st overall, tell us about Charlie Stramel.
1: Yeah, Charlie Stremel was a pick that caught me a bit off guard, especially since it was made by the Minnesota Wild, which was not the team yeah. I was expecting to reach on a player like Charlie Stremel. Stremel, yeah. it's a it's a big swing for Minnesota because, in my view, this pick is indicative of them trusting that in a better system, he will thrive this season. Because going into his draft season, he was pretty unanimously like a top 10 talent after a mm-hmm. very, very solid D minus one in the NTDP and putting up exceptional playmaking metrics. And yeah, Wisconsin was a difficult environment to thrive in. And while I do think that 21 was a definitely is not the swing I would have taken there, but I, I yeah. respect it because I think it like it, it is quite logical in terms of it was not the strongest coach system in the NCAA last year. And I yeah. think that a coaching change is going to make a world of difference. And I'm really curious to see what will can do in a system that actually benefits him rather than one that basically just sends them out there whenever they, they need somebody to save them. And he wasn't yeah. ready for that role.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's definitely something that, you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to see how Wisconsin continues to kind of develop throughout the coaching change. Um, the additions they've added in, in the offseason, I think, is really gonna make a difference. Um, but it's it's kind of a time you'll tell type situation with Char with Stramel. He definitely needs to see more scenarios that he's comfortable with. So that's one name to really keep a look on in uh at 21st overall. Could end up being a worthwhile swing if you know the coaching change brings about positive change for him. Uh, But moving on to Easton Cowan at 28, I was astounded to see Toronto um, reach at 28th overall uh, for a player from the London Knights who, for me, uh, was one of the most intense players in the OHL. Uh, The effort level is insane. The playmaking is absurd as well. Um, But it's just the projectability, the lack of size. There's a lot of question marks there. Um, But I know you were really, really high on Easton Cowan. So uh, what's your thoughts on this pick at 28?
1: This was probably the pick in the draft that I was happiest to see, while having also being very certain that I would not have made that pick at yeah. that slot. Uh, like there were definitely still players on the board that I would have swung on ahead of Cowan at twenty-eight. That mm-hmm. said, I, I really like this for Toronto. I I think that especially with losing Bunting this summer, I I can't think of many players in this draft class that fit the Bunting role better than Cowan, but just as a playmaker yeah. rather than a goal scorer. And mm-hmm. they can just develop him themselves this time. And I, I think that if they can get him to that level, it'll really pay off with, with investing a first-round pick into it. And I think mm-hmm. that of all the teams to have reached on Eastern Cowan, Toronto's one where I'm most confident that it will work out. Uh, yeah. That said, if he's not like that Michael Bunting type, he's not a top six player. That mm-hmm. That's the risk here. I think you're drafting him quite clearly for an archetype that you have set out that fits your mold of, okay, here's a player that will make life easier for our, our elite stars. Uh, they will enjoy yep. playing with him. He's super intelligent. He will add the, all the intensity in the world. Uh, he's a great four checker. He's solid enough defensively, uh, really decent one touch playmaker. I've liked him mm-hmm. a lot in my viewings. Uh, but 28's a bit high, but as a storyline, I really enjoy it because I, I think for the effort level, I'm really happy that he was rewarded with uh, for that with a first-round draft pick. I think that will go a long way in, in helping build that confidence. And mm-hmm. I think with time, if he can build confidence in his playmaking game as being a separating tool, yeah. then I think it could be worthwhile. But I think there, there are some steps that Toronto will need to go through, and mm-hmm. it's a bet on their own development staff, because Cowan has a longer way to go than most players drafted in that range but it pays off. I think you're getting a, an absolute fan favorite who could play mm-hmm. on a first line with star players. So I, I like sure. the swing for Toronto specifically. I think if any other team had made it in that range, I'd be a lot more skeptical.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, the, the swing on your development staff for Toronto is often a very good swing given the the staff that they have is just a fantastic uh, kind of group of play of yeah. people that they have in the organization. So, I'm not entirely opposed to this, but like you said, there were some other guys that probably would have been better swings, but in terms of a fit, in terms of what they're looking for, he just, he fits that to a T. tee. Um, but then at 33rd overall, we've got Niko Majatovich, Um, to the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, he was a Seattle Thunderbirds player, was pretty average throughout the season, but once he hit the playoffs, you really saw a different Majatovic and more engaged Majatovic, a Niko Majatovich is comfortable being the receiver on the receiving end of a lot of finishing plays. You know, he was taking shots from really good areas, placing himself really well, the intensity, the effort level, the defensive engagement. Um, 33 is fairly high, but he's one guy who exploded in the playoffs, and I knew for sure that he would be a top 50 pick. I just didn't think he'd be the first player outside of the first round to be selected. This is, it's a weird one, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I, I think a little bit like with the Stramel pick, I was more surprised by who picked him than where he was picked. I was surprised yeah. that Anaheim is a team that took the swing on him, uh, just considering how they usually approach the draft. Yeah. Uh, but he is really fun, and, and I can understand why a scouting staff would fall in love with him. The way he yeah. plays is commendable. He's a really fun powerful, He's super engaged, very physical, uh, effort level is there in spades. I'm not sure the toolkit is the strongest. The skating concerns me a little bit. The shot's good. I haven't really seen much distribution or playmaking out of him that I'm Mm -hmm. really excited to see. Uh, Whenever I saw him playing on a line with with someone like Grayson Souchin, Sauchin's the player Mm -hmm. that stood out more to me in terms of NHL projectability. Even though there were definitely games that I watched where Mayatovich was the better junior player, it's tough because being a power forward in the junior league is a very different thing than being a power forward in a pro league. And yeah. while I think he can make that jump to the AHL, I'm curious to see if, if his jump to the NHL can uh, go beyond a bottom six role.
0: For sure. And really astounded to see that Grayson Sautchen was picked a good 30 picks after him. It's just, same astounding. round
1: technically, but yeah, they basically bookended it. If you would have swapped Sautchen and height uh, at uh, 63, 64.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, moving on to Adam Guyon to be the first goaltender off the board at 35. It was the kind of thing where you could call it, given the, the world juniors I, that he had. I did.
1: I did. Yeah. I was very proud of it. I was I, on the draft floor on the first day of the draft. I was like, my hot take today is that Guyon is, is going is going to be the only goalie pick on day one. And he got mm-hmm. picked 35th on day two. By Chicago it, of all teams. Uh,
0: yeah, by I Chicago of all teams. Mean, I mean, hey, he pl- look.
1: The, Chicago basically landed the two best players from this year's World Junior Championship in this draft. So <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, listen, uh playing in Chippewa in the North American hockey league is it's not the highest level of hockey by any means. Uh he did play, I believe, a couple USHL games, but nothing really major yeah, nothing really major or, or impressive or interesting there. But once it, it you have the World me- Juniors, yeah. It reminds me a bit
1: of the Habs picking uh, Jakub Dobesh a couple of years ago, where he was mm-hmm. a D plus one. He's just starting to play in the USHL, uh, but the toolkit is really enticing, and there mm-hmm. were, were flashes of brilliance. Like Gaian at the U, at the U twenties was lights out, incredible. Mm-hmm. But he's a D plus one goaltender and he had a hot streak. And I think mm-hmm. I I I was personally a bit more skeptical of the sustainability of that of that run yeah. and. I I like the tools better of some other goaltenders that were available, but goaltenders Mm -hmm. are weird. And this is one area where I'm just going to be like the least judgmental of draft picks is with goaltending because I'm still learning how to scout goaltenders. I really can't (laughs) be up on my high horse here, but Mm -hmm. uh, not the goaltender I would have swung on. I think Trey Augustine would have been a great fit at 35 for Chicago, but Guyon is a swing on, uh, on kind of the unknown and the upside and, projection of how he plays at the next levels because his tiny sample of playing against high level competition at the u20s was excellent so it, in, maybe it's ex- it was
0: insane it was, it was ins- unbelievable insanity. yeah i
1: agree yeah for sure
0: absolutely uh but yeah that closes things off for our first segment and we're gonna get to our second segment where we break down a couple of guys from the second and uh third rounds all coming up um after we talk to you about FanDuel sportsbook take it away sebastian
1: Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first betting amount, up to $200. Yeah, that's right. For like 20 bucks, you can get $200 in free bets, win or lose your original bet. All on app that's safe, secure, easy to use, and best of all, you get your winnings right away. There's no better place to bet MLB than on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today at fanduel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in free bets. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball.
0: All right, so for a second segment, we'll be breaking down a couple more interesting storylines from the 2023 NHL draft. We'll go through kind of the second and third round range um, to the to the uh, end of the fourth. Uh, now, I these aren't necessarily steals. There aren't really bad picks. They're just really interesting storylines from these players and surprising based on where they went, but still kind of understandable. Um, so we're going to start at 61st overall with Tristan... Bertucci, uh, who got picked by the Dallas Stars, a Flint Firebirds product, right-hand defenseman, big, rangy, kind of difficult to project based on his skill set, not necessarily an offensive contributor, not necessarily consistent defensively, but there is some upside here, but you've watched him a lot more than I, Sebastian, so take it away.
1: Yeah, I think I was a bit surprised that he was the second OHL defenseman off the board after Oliver Bonk, who I think most people were pretty aware was going to be the the top-picked OHLD this season. Yeah. Uh, but I know that other, uh, public scouts did not share my sentiment there that also watched the OHL a bit more than I did, uh, throughout the run of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. it, in my view, I think the reason that he, that, that he was then the top, the, the top pick guy on day two, uh, out of the OHL on the back end is because he's kind of a blank slate teams can develop, like, like whoever drafted him, Dallas can develop him in a multitude of different ways. He has a decent yeah. foundation in most areas of the game. I think he's a solid enough skater. There are flashes of physicality. There's flashes of good defensive play. And I think that that element of control in how he's developed and what style he will eventually go into was really enticing for scouting and development staffs who were maybe a bit more questioning of like, for instance, Cam Allen's decision-making with the puck or Matthew Mania's chaotic style of play or Hunter Bruce Davis's perhaps lack of, 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 of real growth in the last year can be a, bit scary uh and those are all players that I personally would have picked ahead of Bertucci but I can understand why a team would have him there I think it's it's a lot about that 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 way of molding him into malt into any real style of player uh and while I'm a bit more skeptical on the quality of tools allowing that like easy to mold type of, of of profile as a player he yeah. did grow a decent amount this season. I, I liked him a lot more towards the back end of the year than my viewings in September and October, where he wasn't even a guy I was considering ranking really. Uh, but as the year moved on, I liked him significantly more. Uh, he still ended up a lot lower on my board than than where he's drafted here, but I can see why, and I I think I understood it more than some than some other selections. Uh, though I'm also now realizing he wasn't the second, even the second. Uh, picked OHL defender because there's Andrew Gibson uh, and uh, well there we go third I, I just Gibson was not exactly on my radar <laughs> so I, I I completely glossed over that for a second oh
0: yeah Yeah, no, absolutely. But we'll get into Andrew Gibson later on in our third segment. Um, I did want to mention Brandon Svoboda real quick at 71st overall to the San Jose Sharks. A really interesting pick. Um, Not a guy I thought would go at all in the top 128. I didn't have him ranked in, in my top 128 rankings or in my honorable mentions. He's a very straightforward, very simple player in terms of what he brings to the game. He's in that front presence, loves to battle, loves to... To kind of his teammates very quickly he doesn't hang on to the puck a lot, um, but I I did see some interesting flashes of passing sometimes you know he would pull off a pass through a couple lanes that was really impressive sometimes he'd take a shot from mid range that would astound me with its precision but it's a very raw offensive toolkit and he's definitely got the frame he's uh, he's got some 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 decent kind of defensive acumen as well. But I was really surprised to see him picked at 71. It's fairly high, but you're basically betting on his foundations becoming complemented by a toolkit that you eventually develop. If you're able to get those flashes into consistent elements, you've got a really, really good player here. But, you know, there are guys that I've seen, especially some development specialists and video coaches that have told me that so Sobota has higher upside than I think. Um, but I'll, I'll stick to my gun so far and just say that this is a very surprising pick. Uh, but time will tell. I think this is a decent swing and, and a very understandable swing based on what they're looking for. But on the on a very stacked Youngstown fans team, he was a, a bit of a, a an outcast in terms of production, only 26 points in 59 games. So definitely a guy to keep a look on. Um, but I mainly see him becoming a kind of net front presence, offensive contributor only in kind of a limited kind of third, fourth line role, mainly playing defensive minutes, mainly playing kind of forechecking situations. But Time will tell and we will see with Svoboda. Moving on to uh Alexander Rikov, another fantastic Carolina Hurricanes pick. We didn't really get too much into. Uh yeah, an absolute shocker. Carolina picking good Russians. That's just there's no way, right? Um yeah, take it away on Rekov. What's your what's your read on him?
1: I like him a lot. I, I am ranked well inside my second round. I think like in my like mid to late 50s. And uh to get to get him at 100, I was, I was uh Unsurprised that Carolina was the team to draft him. Uh, he's Absolutely. really solid and dependable. Like, that, that's what you're drafting Ricoff for. He does not have that high-end upside, but I think he's a pretty high likelihood bottom six piece. Uh, he, um, yeah, he, he's really intelligent. He's solid enough defensively. I, I don't think he's as good as some other scouts have perhaps painted him as, uh, yeah. but he's... a. He's an underrated playmaker and distributor in the offensive zone. He's dependable in possession. He guards possession uh, really, really effectively. He was producing at a very impressive rate in the VHL this season. Mm-hmm. Lots to like. There, there, there's definitely a really solid foundation. I think he's he's a nice high floor pick, and to get a high floor guy at 100th overall, who uh, mm-hmm. in my view is a pretty straightforward NHL projection in a decently valuable bottom six role. I like that a lot.
0: Absolutely. Um, and then we'll end things off in our in our second segment here with Rodwin Dionicho, a pick I really liked at 129th overall to the Anaheim Ducks. A rangy, very, very fun, very uh, just borderline crazy uh, defenseman <laughs> out of Windsor. Um, really liked the offensive skill set, really liked the vision and playmaking. He's got some of the best playmaking metrics that we've seen in a long while in the OHL. Um, but... As an overager, as a guy who struggles often in his own end, who's very inconsistent in terms of his goal scoring ability, um, really just you're getting a you're, you're betting on vision and playmaking in terms of uh, a defenseman, which is a decent bet to take at 129th. I really like it yeah. for Anaheim. Um, really, you're kind of drafting him for that specialist role, kind of your distributor in the offensive zone as a defenseman. So or forward,
1: forward. I watched him at forward. I watched him at forward a couple times this season and he, and he played a few games and there were games at forward that I watched him play in Windsor where he was like outperforming Shane Wright on <laughs> most shifts, which is just yeah. funny to me it just because Dean Nietzsche to me is one of the wackiest players in this draft class. And I mean that in the best way possible. I really enjoy watching him play, but yeah. he has a combination of extreme clunkiness in his, in his movements with the skating, but Impressive deception, which is not a combination you see too often. And yeah. that I think that's my main concern as it, with his projection is on the one hand, what position is he gonna play, defense or offense? Because I like the defensive game spooks me quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and the backward skating is really clunky if the forward skating is already as bad as it is. Uh, mm-hmm. but I'm really curious to see what Anaheim does with him and uh, he's fun. This is one of the more, most fun picks in the draft class, and I know Mitch Brown must have been pretty happy to see him go. Uh, in the top one
0: hundred percent. So that's it for a second segment. Now we'll get into our third segment um, right after a quick word from our sponsors. All right, so for our third third segment to kind of end things off on this odds and ends episode about the interesting kind of storylines from the 2023 NHL draft that we haven't delved too much into uh, in our previous episodes, let's start things off with Zeb Forcefield. Now, he's a guy I didn't really watch too much. He was picked up at 180th overall um, by the Seattle Kraken. He, he spent most of the year with Sjöleftjö uh, in the uh, Swedish Hockey League and Swedish Junior 20 League. Um, now you've watched a fair bit more of him than I have. I maybe watched a game or two. So take it away.
1: He's really fun and skilled that that's the baseline of it. He's, he's undersized. He's not a high end skater, but when he gets going, he can, he's quite pacey. He can execute plays at high speeds. Uh, I think he's, he really has to work on his explosiveness and tight to create separation in order to translate the way he plays the game. But I think that in Forest Fjall, Seattle is taking a really fun swing on that skill. He's a solid handler, really good mm-hmm. playmaker. Uh, at the U18s, he was playing a top six role for Sweden. And with quality line mates, he's often playing with Anton Wahlberg. I thought those two complement each other really, really well. Uh, yeah. He had Wahlberg as, as a powerful puck carrier. And off-puck, Wahlberg's routes create a lot of space for Forrest Fjall to work with. Uh, mm-hmm. Though Forthfeld does kind of stay to the periphery a bit too much in transition, and he needs to use that middle lane a bit more often. I think adding some weight and some explosiveness are really the, the two top things that he needs to work on in order to make sure his style of play can translate to the SHL, let alone to North America. Uh, yeah. But there's a fun foundation of skill, and I would have swung on him as early as the fourth or fifth round. So landing mm-hmm. him at 180 is some really good business, in my view, for Seattle.
0: Absolutely. Now, moving on to pick 199, which I think is the most interesting pick out of the QMJHL uh, in this draft. And Mateo Mann at 199th overall by the Philadelphia Flyers in the seventh round. Um, he played most of the year. He played the whole year with uh, Shikutsumi Sagnier um, and Mateo Mann. Getting Mateo Mann and Oliver Bonk in the same draft so far apart is just very, funny. very wild to me because they're, they're very similar in terms of what they bring. But I think Mateo Mann is kind of an exaggerated version of Oliver Bonk, which is not really good, because he is just as good defensively, maybe even better in terms of his physical engagement as a kind of six-five, two hundred pound guy. Um, plays your typical six-six foot five, two hundred pound defenseman from the QMJHL style, right, where he's just <laughs> bullying players in front of the net, uh, pushing them off of uh, of uh, of the net fronts, you know, clearing the screens, and mainly just getting involved in in disruptions in the defensive zone in order to bring the puck out of his zone as soon as possible but outside of that it's just it's an offensive black hole i mean he's just not producing anything for you most of his plays are off the glass and out so when I say an exaggerated version of Oliver Bonk, this is what I mean. I feel like Oliver Bonk has a lot better vision, a lot better hands and, and ability to use his tools. Um, the vision is about the same in both cases, which is what's concerning with me with Oliver Bonk at 22. But Mateo Mann at 199, I was astounded. I thought he would go in the top 100 given the draft tendencies of NHL teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 199, starting there is not too bad for me.
1: Yeah, I, I think... You've watched a lot more of Man than I have, so I'm just going to jump to the next one. Andrew Gibson at 42 to Detroit, uh, who is a defender for uh, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. And my read on him is pretty similar to your read on Matteo Mann, which is why I kind of want him back-to-back here. Uh, yeah. Very similar, which is why it's a bit confounding to me that he went at 42. Uh, mm. I didn't log as many viewings of him, as I think other OHL scouts did, I think I may have gotten five or six in, which I think is a decent enough sample, and I'm pretty yeah. confident in my read. Um, he's he's a below-average skater. Uh, I think his composure is a real issue. That, that scares me a lot in terms of under <laughs> pressure, behind his net, he will bench a rod out, like, just not even off the glass, just, like, out it'll just go yeah out. it just goes out and uh th- th- there are some dis- dis- making question marks there that i have i i thought he was the weakest link on canada's u18 defensive core which is not a good sign considering how canada's it wasn't a good defensive was played
0: <laughs> yeah it wasn't good and
1: i have a lot of questions uh though i have learned to not doubt Detroit's drafting too much because it usually uh, makes me look dumb afterwards if I if I call their picks bad but picking picking him one slot after Trey Augustine to me is just strange uh yeah but it's in it's in here in the fun storylines because I think there is a world where look he's drafted by the team that currently has Ben Chirac. Maybe they value that, right? Like I, I think yeah. I personally just don't because I've been scarred by having watched Ben Sherat for th- two and a half, three years in it's, Montreal. It's and, awful, <laughs> and it's a bit difficult for me to, to, to get like to really get excited for that for that mold of, of NHL player, perhaps. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm very conscious of my bias in that situation. But yeah. 42 was 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 high. Uh, mm-hmm. especially with the other defensemen that were still on the board in that range. I think Caden Price would have made a lot more sense for Detroit than than a guy for like Andrew sure. Gibson at 42.
0: Absolutely. And to end things off with two more OHL uh, defenders who uh, were very interesting stories. Hunter Bustavitz at 75 to Vancouver, uh Kitchener Rangers product, uh, a guy who, for me, just strikes me as a fantastic puck-moving guy. He just... He knows what to do with the puck when he gets it. The issue with Perstevitz and the thing that will be the make-or-break kind of thing for him, if, if you know, depending on whether that's fixed or not, is the passiveness. He is very, very passive, and at least to a very inconsistent game. He's passive offensively when it comes to kind of accelerating passes through lanes before they close. In the OHL, lanes stay open a lot longer than at the NHL or AHL level. So that's going to be a struggle, is just... Executing on plays a lot faster, but also defensively, the engagement is bad. I mean, there, there have been times where he would go for an offensive incursion, he would activate offensively, and and then he would literally be the last man back as the defenseman, which is just not what you want to see. So fixing that, working on that is paramount for uh, Bristavis if he wants to make the next level. But to end things off, a guy who we can absolutely call this an overcorrection at 136 I... overall, Cam Allen to the Van- to the Washington Capitals it's just absurd. What's
1: fun is it, it feels not so long ago that we were having our like Dobber Prospect meetings last fall and I was still the OHL yeah. scout and uh and and I was getting a lot of resistance to wanting to drop Cam Allen outside the first round and I was I was I think one of the big skeptics within within our group early early on the season when he was still hyped yeah. up as a top 15 talent. But my read hasn't really shifted. Like, he just kind of stayed as a mid-second rounder for me throughout the Mm -hmm. the season. And I was shocked that he dropped to 136. Like, yes, there are 100% decision-making issues. In the offensive zone, his shooting habits are painful to watch. Like, he will shoot by default under any pressure consistently. And that needs some, some work, very clearly. But this is also a player who captained the Canada U18s. I thought he was not at all like, like the weakest link in that defensive core at the U 18s for Canada. I thought he was fine. Uh, and I think looking fine in that defensive core was good. Uh, and mm-hmm. he's, he's mobile. He, he he flashes some tenacity and violence defensively. And I think if he's, if he's molded more as like a bottom pairing complimentary defenseman who can do a bit of everything except for be an offensive quarterback, I think you're getting a really interesting piece there that could be a fun middle pairing defenseman if he can, if, if his development ramps up a little bit again. And if this year was kind of just a plateau where he was playing a role way too big for him and it hurt him quite clearly. But this is a player I would have been very, very comfortable picking in yeah. the third round, in the late second round. Uh, and I think that if Washington got him at 136, they were doing excellent work with that and it reminds me a bit of like the brad lambert and aturatu situations but on a lesser extent where cam allen is not the same level of player as the other two but i do think that he's he was more than worthy of a top 90 or top 70 selection. so 136 was definitely an overcorrection in my eyes
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Fully agreed. Uh, But that makes it uh, a wrap for today's episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment saying what you want to talk about next. Uh, And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day. Speaking of our everydayers, make sure to check out our episode on Friday as we break down a couple of the 2024 NHL drafts eligibles, especially at the top end. We'll have a lot to talk about then. But until then, see you next time.